Welcome to the journey of an esthete, a comprehensive examination of all things aesthetic, the arts, the humanities, and what it means to be human. Is this Ellen Burstyn? It is. Ellen Burstyn, welcome to our podcast, Journey of an Esthete. Thank you very much. I'm so excited to have you on the show. I really trying to be very, um, hold myself together. Uh, it's such an honor uh, to have you on our show. And um, typically in these kinds of episodes, I do a little introduction. Uh, okay. And so what I'm going to say is that... Um, I've had other actors on the show. Um, I had Austin Pendleton on, and I had Melanie Mayron on the show. Huh? Actually, it was Mel, Mel that put me in touch with you, so I thank her immensely for that. Um, oh, that's nice. But I, I think it's a very rare thing. I think there are certain people in the arts that are special, and they, they burst into the world spiritually, um, and, they, and they make an impact. And I have to say, I, in a way, I grew up with you. Because, oh, yeah? Yes, because not only did I see The Exorcist as a child on the big screen, as a child in the 70s, but I also watched you in Providence, Alan Renee's oh. film. Oh, yeah. And get this, I actually saw you with Charles Grodin in the same time next year. And then got and I got to see you with Alan Alda do the same script. On, on the screen. So I feel like I've grown up with your art and with your craft. And I'm very impressed with your spirituality. And it sounds like you have a friendly companion over there. Yeah, and I, I have to find out why she's barking in the other room. She doesn't normally bark like that. So okay. I don't know what's the matter. Let me see. I'm going in the other room. <laughs> what, is, what is it you're barking about? What? <laughs> no. Come on out here. She's a puppy. Aww. Come, honey. Um, I don't quite understand this maneuver here, but I'm going to pick up her bone and hope that she comes with me. Yeah. Okay. She wanted her bone. I don't know why she couldn't get herself, but okay. That's fantastic. Well, yeah, so I interrupted you. No, not I'm at all. I, what I was going to say is that I just, I feel like I sort of, um, you know, I, I have to say that once a year I watch two of your films. 
Um, really? I watch Resurrection every Christmas because I think it's that good a film. And I watch The Exorcist every Halloween. And that's <laughs> not – and actually last night, you know what I watch? This might bring back memories. Do you remember Thursday's Game that Jim Brooks wrote? Oh, yes. I do. I watched that last night for – I don't know. I hadn't seen it since the 70s. It was such a treat. But anyhow, that's my introduction. And basically on our show, we do sort of a linear chronology, which uh-huh. is a fancy way of saying personal biography where you would talk about Lee Strasberg and Jackie Gleason and all that. And Wait a minute. I, I, I've got I've to find out what this problem is. I have no idea. She's never done this before. Oh. So obviously something, it's something in the bathroom that she thinks... Okay, I'm closing the bathroom door. There. Now, whatever your problem is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Our, I don't know what our, to producer, do our producer of the show has a golden retriever. And uh-huh. so she knows all about dogs and, and dog-related things. But I wanted, I, oh. I wanted to say that um, nonlinear things will start to happen once you have the framework of personal bio and whatever comes into your consciousness or whatever you want to talk about, anything of your career or Lee Strasberg or Charles Grodin or, or whatever comes to your mind, you're, 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 um, you have a lot to say. And I'm very impressed with your spiritual dimension as well, which you talk about in your memoir, because I think that's important. And on, a, on our show, we're, not, we're unafraid of talking about such matters, matters of faith and matters of, um, of the kind. So if you want to talk about those things, you're certainly more than welcome to. Oh. Wow, that's that's a big uh, wide canvas you've given me. Um, let me see what comes to mind. Well, I think I'll talk about resurrection. You know, not too many people saw it, not as many as I would like. Yep. Um, because it was a very important film for me. Yep. I was in uh, Greece making a film with Milena McCurry mm. based on a Medea theme. And my agent called and said they, that the producers wanted to do a film, Jesus Christ Comes Back to Earth as a Woman. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Send me the script. And they did. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was not interesting to me the way it was written. Mm. Um and so I said no. Then the producer said they wanted to come talk to me. So the producers flew over to Greece, and we met, and um, they wanted to talk me into it. And I said, well, you know, it's just, it's not about anything. It says it's about Jesus Christ comes back mm-hmm. to this moment. But then what? You know, she goes to Jerusalem and starts having this stigmata in her hands and mm-hmm. And, but there's no message. There's no right. point of view. So I then roughly sketched out the story as it ended up in the film. And the director was there and he said, well, um, that's a very nice story, but we have a go ahead, a go ahead from Universal to make this story. And I said, well, I don't want to do it. And they left. And then the producers got back to their hotel and, Athens and called me and said, we like your story better than our story. <laughs> and we start over with a new yeah. writer and a new director. And I said, fine. So we did. And I worked with the writer. And I really at the time was very, um, my dog has just gone into crazy dog, which is she runs through the apartment a million miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very interested in the fact that it was just kind of coming into the consciousness that when people die and are resuscitated, they have a uh, a tale to tell of what happened mm-hmm. while they were clinically dead, mm-hmm. and they and everybody had the same kind of story of going through a tunnel of light and being met by um, friendly people there that were guiding them on and um, that story was told so many times and there were a couple of wonderful books written about it so I thought that would be interesting to bring and the other thing was healing I had had um, some experiences with healing 
that uh, were remarkable, and I wanted to bring that forward. So we built a script around that. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, when the studio released it, they they had um, you know, they had algorithms, and there were eight categories of films, and it didn't fit into any of the categories. So. They they took a, a, a supernatural film and re- released it with a horror film oh. um, program, which was not very helpful. So it didn't get seen by very many people. But I, I know uh, I said to Brujoy, who was one of the doctors that I studied healing with in preparation for it, um, before it came out, after it was shot and it was due to come out, I said, he was very psychic. Is it going to be successful? And he paused for a minute and he said, not in the way that you would, that you ex- would expect, mm. but it will later on. Mm. Well, it turns out that there are, there's a whole group of people in the world, you're one of them, That's right. who, who knows that film and was affected by it and, and cherish it. A lot of people have told me how it changed their life. It changed their direction in life. Um, so it, whenever somebody comes up to me on the street mm-hmm. and says something about resurrection, I always say to them, well, I know that you must be a very special person uh, because all the people who relate to that film are. Mm-hmm. So you must be a very special person, too. Well, I don't know about that. I just love the film. And, 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 you know, I wanted to mention two people because I think sometimes Louis John Carlino and Daniel yeah. Petrie are both so good. A lot of people don't know the name Daniel Petrie. Petrie. Do you want to, what do you have to say about them as writers or directors um, on, on that film? Both terrific. Well, Louis and I work very closely together on the script. As a matter of fact, there's a very funny story. I was shooting same time next year, uh-huh, yeah. or about about to shoot same time next year uh, with Alan Alda, and we were in Northern California where we ended up, you know, where we shot the film. And it was, we just got there, and we didn't know each other, and we were going to start shooting in a couple of days. And I'm just on Carlino having I was in California, asked if he could come and meet me and we could talk about resurrection. Mm-hmm. So we had a, a date on, I think, Sunday for him to come. And on Saturday, um, Alan Alda and I got together mm-hmm. and said, you know, we're supposed to be in love on Monday and we don't know each other. What do we do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I said, um, well, I think the quickest way to us for us to really get to know each other is to get drunk together. I would not say that now, but at the time I did. Um, So we decided to go out and get drunk together, and we did. Mm -hmm. And we had a great time, Mm -hmm. and um, we stayed up very late, and I woke up in the morning with the worst hangover I've ever had in my life. Mm. And and Louis John Carlino came to my room, Uh, which was uh, at ground level and had a sliding glass door. Mm. And he he knocked on the door and I didn't hear it. I was asleep. And then it came and knocked on the sliding glass door and I heard it. And I crawled over to it mm. and opened the door. And I said, okay, I have a terrible hangover. I purposely got drunk and I'm suffering from it. Mm. So you can talk to me, but I have to lie down in bed. So I, I was lying down and he was sitting in a chair. Mm. And then we started talking about this very spiritual movie we wanted to make and this very spiritual woman that we were creating. Mm. And there I was at the hangover. I couldn't even sit up straight. Yeah. So that, that's the back story. Um, well, that's, that's fantastic. Um, I mean, I, I, if you don't mind me asking some questions, because I, um, you did already have done... I think same time next year is a wonderful play and actually a very profound play and very well written. And you had the opportunity to do that with Charles Grodin as well. 
who just passed, as you know. And I'm wondering, I guess I'm wondering about the differences in style of the, of, from Herbert Ross and, and Gene Sachs. And, and is that too, too big of a question? I, I don't, I'm just wondering uh, that you've been in these two, the same text, but two different, different versions of different, different yeah. stars. Well, Charles Grodin is one of the funniest people I ever met in my life. Hmm. And he has a kind of humor that um, it's unlike anybody else. Uh, he's, he was very eccentric. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a, was a germaphobe. Hmm. Um, so there were just a thousand ways to tease him, <laughs> which I did constantly. Um, we had a really wonderful time together. I loved being on stage with him. It was always surprise. It was always new every night. Uh, I didn't know what would happen on stage because it was so alive. Wow. And uh, we were really very close. Mm. And then he did this amazing thing. When the studio bought the play, mm-hmm. they wanted me, but they didn't want Charles. They didn't think he was a big enough name for a movie star. Mm. So they hired they hired Alan, mm. and Charles was shocked that they didn't take him because we had gotten such great reviews and he was so praised. Mm-hmm. So he did something that was he went on a talk show. Now I can't remember uh, who the host was at the time. Jack Johnny Carr Johnny Carson. I remember that. And he I remember that. And he set it up so that. He had Johnny Carson tell him on the air that the movie was going to be made with Alan Alda, mm-hmm. and he pretended like he didn't know. It was so hilarious. I don't know any other actor in the world that would have done that. Said, really? They're not good. Why would they not use me? <laughs> and, and and then he started quoting all the quotes from our from our opening. From the- there was one one. Um, uh, critic who who wrote Hash in the Air, a really great new play. So and Charles all the way through the run would say that Hash in the Air, we were pretty good tonight. Um, wow. So that's what he, that's what he told on the show, and it was just hilarious. I mean, if you knew Charles and the way he could act, totally shocked uh-huh. and, and mystified that such a thing could happen. It was, it was hilariously funny, and it was also heartbreaking for me because I knew that he, he probably did feel that way. Really, he was sure. making it be funny. Well, I, but, I'm, and, I'm hoping I'm not changing the subject, move around too much. But you did mention the same time next year, and I, we should get back to Resurrection, of course, because it's it's an important film. And so I, I so go ahead in terms of how you worked on that. You wrote that script with. Um, Lewis, John, and then Daniel Petrie came in. And so talk a little more about that process. It was remarkable to me, um, making something like that. Now, um, we're talking uh, 60 years ago, is that possible? 40 years ago. It's in the late 1970s. Yeah. 80s, 90s, 10s. Yeah, I would say 40 years ago. 40, yeah. So... Yeah. Um, Dan Petrie was a wonderful man. Mm-hmm. I liked him very much. a very kind man. Um, and, you know, Lewis and I developed the script together. I mean, he wrote it, but um, we talked through it mm-hmm. a lot. And he loved my my original name. You know, my name when I was born was Edna Ray Galuli. So he, he took my name, Edna, and gave it to the character. Um, yeah, and 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 then it was just kind of one of those magical experiences. I I don't know if you remember, Ralph Roberts was in it. Yes, um, he's a wonderful. And, and Ra- yeah. yeah, Ralph was was my masseur, um, and he was he was also the masseur of Marilyn Monroe and uh, Lee Strasberg and Pasquinini. So I always heard great stories on the table about all of those people. 
<laughs> and he was a very extremely sensitive man. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he, he couldn't really handle the business, although he was a wonderful actor, mm-hmm. but he wasn't somebody who could audition or, uh-huh. you know, go into an office and go through that process. He was very shy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was thrilled to be able to give him that. Um, opportunity to play that character that he did so brilliantly. And Eva Legallion, you know, was, um, that's her only film role. Yeah. And she had her own theater company in New York. Wow. Uh, at one time, and she was considered the leading stage actress of New York. Uh, but she had never been on film. And she was then in her late 80s. Mm-hmm. And I met with her and we had lunch and I asked her to play my grandmother. Yeah. She had written a book about Ellen Nora Dusa, the great Italian actress, which I read. Wow. And I had had her sign it for me. So mm-hmm. when I had an opportunity to put her in a movie, I did. And I'm so glad I did because she was so brilliant. She has one moment. We have one moment in the film where where I'm saying goodbye to her mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm leaving and I probably won't see her again. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the exact dialogue, but I say something referring to Jesus and love. I don't remember my cue, but mm-hmm. her line was, that's just it, isn't it? If we could just love each other the way we say we love him, and every time she said it, she, it was like she dropped her voice into her heart on the word love. And every time, tears shot out of my eyes. It was so moving. I, I just treasure that moment with her looking into her face. It's funny to hear you mention that because I, I get teary in that same moment, in the same line, yeah. the line delivery you mean. And it's... um. I mean, I do think it's a lot of things coming together. I think it's the script as well as you folks acting and as well as the direction. Um, it's, a, it's a special movie. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering, um, it's funny, and I mentioned that I watch The Exorcist every, every Halloween. Um, mm-hmm. Some would say a very different movie, yet perhaps not so different. Maybe there's connections there. I don't know. But I, 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 so much I want to talk about. I wanted you to talk a little bit about William Freakin. Because from what I understand, you and him looked at artwork to prepare for that film and different paintings. Is this true? And he came out. It just fascinated me how you folks prepared for that, that picture. Yeah. He arranged for us to go to the, Met- the Metropolitan Museum yeah. on a day that it was closed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we walked through the, the museum together looking at all these fantastic paintings and stood in front of them for a long time and um, relating to them. Now, that poster that for the uh, movie Mm -hmm. with uh, the exorcist standing outside looking at the building and the light, that was taken right from, oh, I'm not going to remember the painter's name now. I'm so embarrassed. Is it McGriff? Um, Yes, Magret. Thank you so much. Yeah, it it was a Magret painting, and we stood there and and um, saw it. And he, he, Billy, is an extremely educated, oh yeah, um, and developed man. And oh, yeah. you know, he's the the score of that movie. I think is one of the most beautiful scores ever mm-hmm. for a movie. Um, and and he, uh, there were so many things I learned. From Billy, and we um, we worked very well together. He's a, he's a master. He is a master. Um, Talk a little more about that because a lot of people, you know, I mean, he's he's a very he's deeper than one. He's also, as you know, a great rock and rock and tour. He can really talk. Uh, he has stories, and he loves to. Uh, Billy Freakin is known for his storytelling, right? And um, but uh, I'm just wondering. You said that he had, it was very erudite. What were some examples of what he brought to the set where you can see that learning and that kind of the way he approached the film that, that would perhaps a lesser director or someone else wouldn't have, uh, if, you, if you follow my, um, my question, uh, example uh, of that? 
Yeah, but I'm not sure that I could say that because, um, you know, if if that were true, it would jump out. It wouldn't be part of the um, organic um, filaments of the of the what you're looking at on the screen. Yeah. It's not. It's not like anything is, um, you know, referred to in any way. Yeah. It's just the. It's just the depth of not only experience but knowledge and art. He has an incredible eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also he's a he's a very bold filmmaker. I mean you don't you don't boss him around. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just love talking to him. We talked a lot mm-hmm. before dur- and during the film. Um He's very inspiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't give you any examples at the moment. None are coming to mind. Well, you, you, you've, but, said, you've said quite a bit because I think it's true that when an artist, I know I'm a musician, I think when an artist creates something, of course you can't pick things out. It has to be holistic. It all has to work together. But I guess I was just, I, I was just thinking about, you know, of course you might have a director who doesn't have that. And I guess it might be reflected probably in the... Oh, yeah. The, yeah, it is. It's yeah. more. Um, it's more ordinary if yeah. they don't have that. You know, it's it's like. Um, uh, I'm thinking of classical music. That um, it's it, like if you're listening to a symphony, mm-hmm. it's all one piece, and yet if you're skilled enough. You can attune your ear to mm-hmm. uh, individual I- instruments or segments of the orchestra. Yeah, you know, um, and that's the difference between an educated listener and yeah. an uneducated listener. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he had that kind of um, yeah. depth of, of vision um, and hearing. I mean, I like I like the fact on that film that you defended a certain ending. I know. Do you want to talk a little bit about the changes of the ending? You wanted to have a, a certain dimension, and um, if if you if you recall about, I think the I think uh, the lines or you had some input, or he did about the meaning. I don't know what what about the meaning of the Exorcist. There was a there was a discussion in your memoir. You discuss a little bit about the line. You changed some of the lines because you wanted to emphasize the positive aspect of um, of what she has undergone. Yeah, um, and there, yeah but I don't remember it. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I don't remember it now. I, I, I must say that I always um, contribute to the script if it's needed and if it's allowed. Um, you know, I don't just... Um, Say I'm going to say it this way, but I make suggestions, and very often they're they're accepted. Um, and Billy was very good about that. But you know, the script was uh, was based on a book, so it was pretty um, solidified. You know what the script was going to be. I do remember what you're talking about, but I can't remember exactly. Yeah. What it was, there was something that was um, too negative at the end, and I and I asked for it to yeah uh, be changed. Uh, but I'm not sure what that was now. Well, it's, it's the I have question, to go back and look it up. Well, according to you, it's the question of good and evil, and that it's the movie is proof that good is real, and, and um, that good good can prevail, obviously. And that um, I think that uh-huh. the more cynical thing that Blatty had written were. Your your character says, "Well, I've met the devil. I know the devil," and and you said, "That's got this has got to change because for the movie to mean something, there has to be this." Um, anyhow, I without getting too into into too involved, and I thought that was interesting. Uh-huh. Um, I you know it's, the the subject of Lee Strasberg is such a big subject, <laughs> and he was such a a formidable man. Um. How would you, if someone asked you about you, when you first met him or studied with him, what comes to your mind way back when? And and, and that, um, 
I'll tell you what comes to mind. I, I was being interviewed by him at his apartment in his home. Mm. And um, he said, what kind of music do you like? And I said, uh, I'm a classical music fan. Mm-hmm. He said, "He said, what's your favorite piece of music? And I said, uh, Greek's concerto in A minor. Wow. And he said, what pianist? And I said, Walter Giese King. And I saw this look of approval on his face. <laughs> and I felt so relieved, like I had passed yeah. a major test in life, you know. Um, I didn't understand yet what a fantastic music lover he was. And he would, you know, have some of us over and play particular concerts um, for us and uh, would listen to music in what was called his music room. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I felt that first meeting I had just lucked into, Mm -hmm. you know, I had the right answer. Um, He he was a, a serious man. I mean, he was a, uh, he was like a theologian of theater, you know. Hmm. Um, he was so had such a profound understanding and love and appreciation of what theater is and what it does and what it can be and what it should be. Wow. Um, so he was such an inspiration to me, not just in acting, but um, I had never met anybody quite like him that was as um, as deep and as skilled and as erudite mm-hmm. with a work ethic. Mm-hmm. And it's really from him that I developed my own work ethic, um, mm-hmm. which is really just having a, the highest regard possible of what it is you do. Mm-hmm. And I wish you I wish you could see my puppy right now. She's oh. just run in the kitchen and got a shopping bag. Mm-hmm. So she took look, one look at me and now she's running into the other room where I see she's tearing up tissue and paper all over the floor. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm walking as I'm talking <laughs> to fine. see what other damage she's done. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it's from him that I deepened my appreciation of, um, how do I say this, the importance of the theater and the importance of dedication and commitment. Um, I had been, you know, I had been an actress who worked for, I would say, almost, maybe between 12 and 15 years, I had a career. Right. But I had never studied acting. Wow. I just did it, you know. The, the, the first audition I got was for a lead on Broadway, and I got the part. Oh, wow. And, and you know, I was getting by on that level of work. Yes. But, but at a certain point, I realized that there was another level that I didn't know how to get to, and that he was the... He was the the leader of that. So I went to him and sure enough, it changed not just my approach to work, but my approach to life hmm. and made me, I can't say made me a more serious person because I, I was serious, but I just yeah. didn't have the, um, the pathway mm-hmm. to um, another dimension of wow. understanding. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm just totally indebted to him. I, I don't know who I would have been if I had not found my way to him. Everybody needs an anchor in life. You, me, just everybody. Anchor made this whole show possible. I'm immensely grateful to them. You too can use Anchor to make your own shows and create your own vision. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Yeah, I guess I guess you could say he's one of those visionaries or, or in the arts that revolutionized. When you say the arts in general and acting, and it, yeah, it's very rare that one person, I guess, like you know, uh, comes comes and does that. It's it's really something. 
Um, yeah, well, there, there, there was only one of him. Yeah. You know, he was really, he was truly a master. And to be able to study any art form with a master is one of the greatest gifts that can happen to an artist of any mm-hmm. kind. Um, I, I'm thinking of also a Peggy Fury, right? I did go to Peggy Fury, yeah. Peggy Fury is also, I think, underrated. A lot of people may not know her name, but what was her um, contribution to uh, uh, teaching acting? And uh... Well, well, she was a wonderful actress herself. Mm-hmm. And, of course, she was actor studio. She was, you know, all part of that circle of people who were um, active at the studio at that time. And she was an acting teacher. The reason why I went to her is she had classes in the same building Lee did. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not even sure, but what it was in the same room. But uh, the, at Lee's, you had to sign up to uh, do a scene, and it, there was a long waiting list. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like I wasn't um, getting a chance to get up <laughs> enough. Mm-hmm. So I went to Peggy's at the same time just so I could act more, more often. Mm-hmm. And she was also a very interesting teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she's within the same stream, you know, so yeah. the, the approach to the work is similar. But it just gave me, a, once I found the kind of work that I was being led to do, I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I wanted to, because... Um, it's so important to practice your art form. You know, mm-hmm. um, Horowitz in his 80s was still practicing 88 hours a day, every day. Oh, yeah. And Yeah, and, and when you're an actor, you can't practice because you need a, an audience and a stage. You know, you yeah. can't do it at home. Uh, so uh, the classes are a way that you can get that or the actor's studio, which is, Mm. Not classes necessarily, but it's a place to go work. So I was very um, determined to get into the studio and and to learn how to do this deeper level of work, which I I did with both Lee and Peggy. And I studied when I went to California. I studied with the studio and a very good teacher. Had okay. had wonderful classes. Um, I'm gonna. A name comes to mind, Paul Mazursky. Uh huh. Wonderful director, and you were in two: Perry and Tonto, and Alex in Wonderland. Any any thoughts on Mazursky as a, as a director and writer? Well, he was wonderful for many reasons, and one of the main ones is that he had been an actor, and a director who has acted is a different kind of being than a, than a director who's been outside the art form rather than in it. And um, so he knew the process. He was very funny. He was smart and fun, and we became friends. Mm-hmm. I see him quite a bit, he and his family. Yeah. Um, Alex in Wonderland, I thought, was a wonderful movie. Oh, yeah. Again, it wasn't, it wasn't a successful movie, but yeah. uh, I it had a lot of interesting uh, things in it and about it. Um, Harry and Tonto, I forgot that Paul directed that. Well, you you huh. play you play Art Carney's um, uh, sister, who runs a daughter. Store. Daughter, I'm sorry. I think daughter. Sorry, yeah. daughter, daughter. You know, an interesting story about that. Our, I was on the Jackie Gleason show when it was a live variety yeah. show. Wow. When I first came to New York, I believe it was 1956. It was. And and Art was on doing the Honeymooners. That's right. One of the great experiences of my life was to go down to that theater every Saturday and sit through the rehearsals and then do the live show with Jackie. And hey, do, you, do you mind talking for just five minutes about that experience of doing this Jackie Gleason and what, just anything that comes to mind about that. This is amazing to me that you, I mean, just, uh. he, you know, he, Jackie at that time had a series of characters he did 
So he did these skits with different characters. There was Joe the bartender and the poor soul and some other ones. And then the honeymooners and the honey, uh, Art Carney and Dane Meadows. Yeah, Audrey Meadows, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And and, um, Jackie didn't come to the rehearsal. We rehearsed all day. It was a Saturday. Um, And he always had uh, Frank Satinstein, the director, would stand in for Jackie. And then when it came to his five minute stand up routine uh, at dress rehearsal, one of the other comics in town, like. Interesting. Jackie Leonard or uh, Jack Carson would come in and do the stand-up routine that would, when it was the live show, be Jackie's, huh. just for the timing. So wow. we, there were a lot of girls on the show. You know, there were the June Taylor dancers, and then there were the, go, the, the Here We Go girls, and Here We Go, they opened the show. Um, and then there were the group that I was, which was just almost like a showgirl. We were the tie-in between the show and the commercial. And yes. so it would go from a skit to one of us, and we would be in some costume and say something funny yeah. and introduce the commercial. Um, so that was 1956. So in 1974, Art Carney won um, for Harry and Tonto, right. and I won, I won Best Actress for Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. That's right. But I... I didn't go to um, Hollywood for the Oscar ceremony because I was on Broadway during the same time next, next year. year. Yeah. So I came in to the theater mm-hmm. the next night, and the doorman said, I'm holding a call for you. So the, there was a phone on the wall. This was before you know we had cell phones or anything. A phone on the wall and the, and the receiver hanging down. I picked it up and said hello. And Jackie Gleason's voice said, well, the alumni did pretty good last year. <laughs> that was the first time I talked to him. This is 1974, wow. since they did the show in 1956. So that was fun. I mean, that's, I mean, you deserve it. I mean, that, well, that was quite a year, 74. Um, that's actually one of my favorite Scorsese pictures, I must say. Oh, yeah. One, I love that picture. picture. Yeah. Um, what comes to your mind about that that shoot and that style of working and what you folks were doing on on that film? The the way it came about I've many times, I don't think I need to tell it again how yeah. I was shooting the exorcist and John Kelly was looking at the dailies and wanted okay. to do another picture with me and I found this script or my agent did and yeah. brought it to him and they bought it and then um, uh, I looked for a, a new exciting director and Francis Coppola suggested Marty and Marty and I met and I chose him I had, he was a brand new director at that time um, but I just I saw Main Streets and loved it so we started working together and, and his working style is so um, creative is all I can say I, I had this feeling like any time that I approached the set, like I walked inside where the cameras were aimed, mm-hmm. it felt like a boxing ring. Hmm. And it was the creative area. And now we were going to mix it up. <laughs> and we did. And, you know, it was always, it was always the script as a basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, very often we did the scenes just as written, but there were also times when we took off hmm. and uh, and played, and something came alive that wow. then got you know shot. It was a very it was fun. It was such fun. Mm-hmm. I mean that's always hard work when you're sure making these long hours and all that. But God, it was fun. But being creative is fun, you know. Well, how many times have you been able to do that where there was improvisation or, 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 or probably that's was a bit, I guessing, unusual for a lot of films, right? I'm guessing. I don't know. but It depends on the director. Yeah. You know, 
some uh, directors love improvisation and others don't. They want to stick to the script exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, or sometimes it's a mix. You know, you mm-hmm. you start out doing the scene, but then something happens while you're shooting the scene and you respond to it and, you know, you're inside the story, so you respond as character and, you know, something occurs that that ends up being in the movie. Um, uh, very seldom do you go on a set and you're improvising and they're shooting a totally improvised scene. Right. That doesn't happen too often because, you know, things have to match and they have to go from the long shot to the close-up to the Mm-hmm. Two shot. Um, but there's a, a feeling of improvisation in the rehearsal. Um, and something happens in rehearsal, and then that becomes part of what gets shot. There was a lot of that in this, in Alice. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that wasn't the first time that you made a choice on the basis of somebody's first feature, right? Because I understand that in Requiem for a Dream that you like the movie pie and that's what made you decide to say yes to that film. Is that, is that correct? Or? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, they sent me the script. I, I read that script and I said, who's going to want to see this depressing film? <laughs> and yeah. My agent at the time who became my manager afterwards said, well, before you say no, look at a film called pie. Mm-hmm. And I looked at pie for just, I think, I would guess four minutes. Hmm. And I went, okay, I get it. Guy's an artist. He's a poet. Yep. So I said yes, not knowing what I <laughs> what I was in for. Uh, it was a very difficult film it was. to shoot. It was wonderful. I mean, it was you know difficult because of what I had to do. Um, very well organized. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love doing it. I love working with Jaron. He's so smart and so creative. They all are. I mean, good directors. The, really. Well, when you say the word poet, I think of Alan René in Providence. I don't know why. It's such an unusual film. Um, it's very unusual. Yeah. Um, he he does something no other director ever did, mm-hmm. which uh, most directors shoot the film and they shoot you know, many different angles, and then they go to the cutting room and they cut it all together the way they want it. Mm-hmm. But Alain Rene would, we rehearsed, and when we rehearsed, we locked it down the way it was going to be and the, and the way it would be shot. He would decide then and then go through the script and edit the film uh, on paper. So that anything that wasn't going to be any angle that wasn't going to be in the film, he didn't shoot. So, you know, so if a portion of the scene was going to be on me, then he wouldn't shoot uh, John Gilgood or Dirk Bogart, mm-hmm. you know, one of the other actors. Mm-hmm. I've never worked with a, a director who, Did that. who shot like that. That was unique to him. Hmm. It's a very interesting experience. Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it pays off in the film, right? I think there's something to that. Is what makes the film unique, wouldn't you say? To some extent. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, you know, each one of these films uh, such a a full and unique experience. Each one is different. The setting is different. They, I mean, that whole film was shot in a deserted French chateau, hmm. you know. <laughs> we were in France in this this um, empty chateau. My dressing room was the master bedroom with a fireplace, and the building wasn't heated. Oh, and no. it was cold. We would be out shooting, and it would be cold. And one day... I wasn't I wasn't in the scene and John Gilgood and Dirk Bogard were and um maybe Elaine Stretch, David Warner, somebody else what a was in cast. it. Oh my goodness. That's such a, anyway. And I went around in the woods around the edge of the chateau and collected huh. wood and to my dressing room and lit a lit a fire in the fireplace and 
when John Gilbert came in from the cold, I invited them into my dressing room to sit in front of the fire. Mm. And, uh, I put a blanket on his lap because he was really cold. And then um, somehow or other, I don't remember if he asked me or I thought of it, but there was some brandy in his dressing room, which I went and got and brought it on a little tray and served it to him. Hmm. And he started telling me stories, and I sat on the floor wow. near the fire in the fireplace. And as he sipped his brandy, he told me stories. And it just seemed like a scene that could be happening in that house. <laughs> like we were not actors making a movie, but we were yeah. somehow serving my father or whoever he would be by the fireplace, serving him brandy. It was like a little flash of time. We went into another time period. Mm-hmm. It was very beautiful. I treasure that moment. Well, you yourself uh, taught acting. I'm very interested in your memoir. You said that you um, taught workshops on acting as a spiritual discipline. And, of course, I find that most interesting. Do you mind talking a, a little bit about about um, uh, that subject at all? If, um when you're approaching those workshops? I don't remember saying that. I wonder what I meant. <laughs> um, you know, it's a spiritual discipline in that if you do it right, you're moving your consciousness into the an, another human being's consciousness. Mm-hmm. You're embodying someone else. And in order to do that, you must have empathy mm-hmm. and and you and you find in yourself the empathy to feel what another human being is feeling and understand where that feeling is coming from and, and i i write a whole biography of every character i'd say oh interesting. so i yeah i i want to know where they grew up who their parents were where they went to school Wow. You know, what, what makes them be the way they are? Um, and once you do that, once you find yourself moving into the emotional and organic space of another human being, mm-hmm. it, um, it ignites in you a kind of ability to identify with, mm-hmm. with um, your species, yeah, you, <laughs> you know? Yeah, the human, uh, the human. In this together. Yeah. Well, not only are we all in this together, I love that phrase, I think, in Christianity that it says, mm-hmm. um, I am one cell in the mind of God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the idea that we are individual beings, it seems like uh, we're individual beings uh, living in an atmosphere or a place. But in fact, we're part of the biosphere. That's right. That's the, that's the same realization as mm-hmm. another way of saying I am one cell in the mind of God. We're just one part of the whole living covering of planet Earth. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're all growing out of the Earth. We're, we are the biosphere. So, yes. you know, to to not take care of our planet Mm. um, is a kind of suicide. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you saying that very much. Um, Is there anything, other things that come to your mind you'd want to talk about, other other plays you've been in or Horton Foote or, or memories or anything that's, it's your, it's your uh, uh, decision. What, anything else that you want to, um, one. Nothing nothing uh, specific is coming to mind in terms of um, my career, mm-hmm. uh, except that I'm very grateful to be 88 years old and still working as much as I am. Um, Excellent. And there was, there was a time when I didn't take care of myself. When I was young, you know, I was pretty wild. Um, I drank and smoked dope and mm-hmm. ate indiscriminately, smoked cigarettes. Mm-hmm. 
actually, Ralph Roberts, the actor I was talking about who was my masseur, mm-hmm. he started me exercising. And when I, the first thing he had me do was walk. And I could walk from the house to the garage without panting. Oh. And then, and then every time he came to give me a massage, we would walk first, and it would just be maybe a, another foot huh. each time. And within a very short time, I was walking a mile and feeling the smoke in my chest, yeah. which helped me stop smoking. And then one by one, I gave up all of my bad habits. First hard liquor, and then I was only drinking wine. And one day I gave that up. And yeah. Cigarette first, and meat, I gave up meat. And I just, you know, dropped those things one by one so that I exercise and I eat well. And I feel so healthy and so grateful that the people in my life have, that I've encountered that have led me into this place where I can be 88 years old and still out walking a mile or two. I mean, um, that's I, so beautiful. I mean, I'm, I'm so, so you're 88 and I'm, I, I have to ask, what is your regimen today? If I may ask, or what do you say? I'm going to do this no matter what, uh, in terms of, uh, uh, issue daily life or, um, well, it's, a, it's never exactly the same because I'm in a lot of different circumstances. Like, for instance, if I'm doing a play, mm-hmm. I always meditate before I go on stage. I come to the theater an hour and a half early, and I'm, I'm dressed by an hour before going on stage. And then I meditate for a half hour. And then when they call half hour, I'm ready to go get in character and, mm-hmm. and you know, care for my interest. Now, um, do I meditate every day when I'm not doing a play? No. Mm-hmm. Um, I sit quietly. I listen to music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look out the window at the trees. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty careful to not get too wrapped up in the news, which I can easily become addicted to. Um, or, you know, just be filling my, please be quiet. Um, (laughs) Filling, filling my head up with um, outer, you know, but, um, taking time to go inward. Yes. Whether it's in meditation or just listening quietly to music or Mm -hmm. however, um, and I walk. Yes. Uh, you know, I do long. Um, and I have a trainer three times a week. Oh. I go to the lift weights and all of that's that. That's beautiful. I mean, that's, and, that's so inspirational. I mean, I think a lot of our listeners might love hearing that because, um, I mean, you, you're doing something right. I'll tell you. Are there. You know, it, it really pays off to take care of yourself. You know, yeah. when you're young, you don't think about that so much. But at a certain point, when you start realizing time is passing and you're getting creaky, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a good thing to pay attention to your body and your inner, your inner life, mm-hmm. too. You know, I had a lot of therapy. I was a mess when I was, oh. by the time I was 21, I was an emotional mess. So thank God for therapy. And learned how to get in and examine my my programming yeah. and do some programming, you know. Yeah. I think we all have the obligation yeah. to reprogram ourselves so we can be conscious and be the best person we can possibly be. Um, yeah. Instead of reactive, you know. Mm-hmm. Alan Burston, this has been a beautiful occasion, and I and I'm I'm, I'm I feel so honored and blessed that you come on our show to discuss these matters, and um, all good even good things come to an end. And uh, um, I don't like saying goodbye. Is there anything you want to say before goodbye? Uh, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, um, I like that line. 
I said it on a CBS morning show the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you may not always be nice, but you must always be kind. Uh, you know, that's interesting. You can't always be nice, but you can always be kind. And I think that's important. I think kindness is one of the most important things to focus on in life because I think it's uh, healthy mm. for yourself and everybody around you. Mm. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your kindness. And um, I, I enjoyed this very much. Well, thank you for asking me on. It was lovely talking to you. Goodbye. Bye-bye. I don't like goodbyes, so I'll see you soon, folks. Thank you. Mm-hmm.